Well, let me welcome you into the fourth and final week of this brief little series in the four chapters of Ruth that we have been calling uh, Ruth, a story of redemption. And that really is exactly what it is. It is the biblical account of the redemption of this Moabite girl named Ruth and really the redemption of her mother-in-law, Naomi, as well. Because today is our final week in this series, let me begin, if you don't mind, by taking about two minutes to give you an overview of the five key points that we've learned so far. Maybe you'll jot these down in your notes somewhere, and they will jog your memory to think about the things that we've been studying over the last three weeks. We began by thinking about the failure of Elimelech. And this was at the very beginning of the book, chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3, where Elimelech takes his family from Bethlehem down to Moab during the time of famine. He made a horrible mistake in doing so, violated God's commands in doing so. And yet we saw the grace of God extended to his family even there. And that was a really important lesson for us, right? Because we all make some Elimelech moves sometimes. We, we all make mistakes and we do things we should not do. And yet God is gracious and faithful. To us as well. Secondly, we saw the faith of Ruth. We learned about this great faith of this Moabite girl, really all the way through chapters one, two, and three. But her faith was so beautifully articulated in chapter one. Do you remember where she says to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge, and where you lie down, I will lie down. Your people will be my people. And then she says this, your God will be my God. What she's saying is, I'm rejecting the God of the Moabites to put my faith in the God of the Israelites. I'm rejecting Shamash, uh, the God of the Moabites, to put my faith in Yahweh, the one true God of the Bible. So we saw the faith of Ruth. Number three, we learned about the bitterness of Naomi. And we saw this when she said at the end of chapter one, do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara. For God has dealt bitterly with me. And she went out full, she came back empty, and we learned that when we walk away from the Lord, even though he's faithful, we will always lose when we are unfaithful. We learned about the bitterness of Naomi. Number four, we learned about the kindness of Boaz all the way through chapters two and three, where we saw Ruth gleaning in his fields. And then finally, we learned about the sovereignty of God, that overarching all of the circumstances and events and all of the lives that we've read about in the book of Ruth, there was this superintendence of the sovereignty of God. Nothing escaped his view. Nothing was out of his control, and he was guiding and directing all things at all times. We saw that so beautifully in chapter 2, verse 3, when Ruth happened to end up in the field of Boaz. We know it wasn't happenstance at all, but it was rather the guidance of God that took her there. So the sovereignty of God. Now that brings us to chapter number 4, the concluding chapter, and really the climax of the story where we're going to see this beautiful redemption of Ruth and the redemption of Naomi as well. Let me just remind you before we read the chapter of what we learned last week that this transaction, this life-changing transaction that we're going to read about in chapter 4 was precipitated by, it was initiated by the risk that Ruth took in chapter 3. Remember we, we talked about this last week that she took a faith risk. She came to Boaz and asked him to be her redeemer. Remember chapter 3 verse number 9? He says, who are you? And she says, I'm Ruth, I'm your servant. 
take the hem of your garment, your skirt, and spread it over me. She was, she was asking him to marry her, to redeem her life. And she took a risk in doing that. And yet it was that risk that she took, that faith ask, that led to the transaction that we're going to read about and uh, her redemption in chapter number 4. In fact, in chapter 3, when she makes that ask in verse number 9, what you find following all the way down through the end of the chapter is that Boaz is working to bring about her redemption, but Ruth is just waiting. Look at what happens in chapter 3, verse number, uh, verse number uh, 14. In verse number 14, it says, She lay at his feet until morning. She just waited. She made the ask, and that's all she could do. She could do nothing else. She just had to wait. And then in verse number 18, when she gets home to Naomi, Naomi says, what happened? And she said, well, I've asked him. He sent this barley home with me. He says he's going to do it. And Naomi says to her at the end of the chapter, in verse number 18, she says, just wait. He will take care of it. Here's what I want you to learn. That when it comes to our redemption, in the matter of our redemption, we are like Ruth, completely helpless. All Ruth could do was ask. Loved ones, hear me. She had no capacity to save herself. She could not redeem her own life. She had no power. She had no ability. It was impossible for her to redeem her own life. All she could do was wait and ask. She was helpless to do anything about it herself. And the same thing is true for you and me. We cannot save ourselves. The only thing that we can do is like Ruth, come to our Redeemer and say to him, would you forgive me? Would you be my Redeemer? And then just let him do it. You cannot save yourself. Any more than a drowning man can reach back and pull himself up out of the water and save his own life. It's impossible and you cannot save yourself. Any more than a man having a heart attack can give himself CPR and save his own life. It is impossible. And in the same way, it is impossible for you to save yourself. Listen to how Ephesians, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not the result of works so that no one may boast. You see, Ruth came to Boaz helpless with nothing and asked by faith that he would redeem her. And she is the perfect model for all of us who need saving as well. Because we just come and we ask and we wait on him to do it. Well, that brings us to chapter number four where Ruth will in fact be redeemed. And so we're going to read the whole chapter. By the time we finish today, we will have read the entire book of Ruth. And so you follow along as I read, please. Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Then Boaz went up to the gate and sat himself down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom Boaz said, Ho, such a one. Now I'm reading from the King James. And so the King James translates this verse, Ho, such a one. It's a great archaic translation. I'll explain it to you in a minute. Turn aside, Boaz says, and sit down here. And so he turned aside and he sat down. And Boaz took 10 men of the elders of the city and he said to them, sit down here. And they sat down. 
Now, by the way, I just might stop and say, Boaz has some influence, don't you think? I mean, Boaz is saying, you sit down, you sit down, you sit down. They're like, okay, we'll sit down. They, they all come and they do exactly what Boaz says. They all sit down. Verse 3, and Boaz said to the kinsman these words, Naomi, that has come again out of the country of Moab, sell, uh, selleth a parcel of land. Now, uh, out of the margin of your Bible, why don't you write this one word, just write the word sold. Sold a parcel of land. The King James says selleth, it means it, means it has been sold. Uh, Naomi, which came again out of the country of Moab, has sold a piece of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise uh, thee, or to inform you, uh, saying to you, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of the people. If you will redeem it, then redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one to redeem it besides you, and I am second in line. I am after you. And he said, the near kinsman said, I will redeem it. So Boaz said, well, in the day that you buy the field of the hand of Naomi, then you must also buy it uh, also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. If you buy the land, then you get Ruth to be your wife. Verse 6. And so the kinsman said, well, then I cannot redeem it. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. You redeem my right for yourself. I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing for to confirm all things. A man would pluck off his shoe and give it to his neighbor. This was a testimony in Israel. Therefore, the kinsman said to Boaz, you buy the land for yourself. And so he drew off his shoe and gave it to Boaz. And then Boaz said to the elders and unto all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. And moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife. Now, it's really important that I stop right there and say to you that when the King James says that he purchased Ruth, she was not a slave and this was not a purchase of a person. What he's saying is when, I'm per, when I buy the land, Ruth comes with it under this Jewish law. And so he's saying I'm acquiring, Ruth is becoming my wife. To raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. And you are witnesses today. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. And may the Lord make the woman that has come into your house like Rachel and Leah, which did build the house of Israel. And may you do worthily. May you prosper in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the house, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give you of this young woman." So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And he went in unto her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, praise God, who has not left you this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. 
And he shall be for you a restorer of your life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, which is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave the baby a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. And he is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Solomon, and Solomon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And all God's people said, I'm glad there are only four verses of begats. <laughs> Amen. I want you to write something down in your notes because this is where we're going to begin understanding this fourth and final chapter of Ruth today. And it's really important for you to understand it. If you're to understand this idea of redemption, write it down. It is that redemption is a legal and a traceable transaction. Redemption is a legal and a traceable transaction. Now, while you're jotting that down, let me tell you that I'm happy to announce to you that next Monday, one week from tomorrow, Tracy, my bride, and I will celebrate 39 years of matrimonial bliss. Can you? Thank you. That's very sweet of you. 39 years of marriage. I know it's hard to believe that we've been married that long. We were babies when we got married, but 39 years of marriage. And I can prove it to you. One of the ways that I could prove it is I could take you to the Buncombe County Courthouse and we could make our way into the Register of Deeds office and downstairs, as I recall, underneath, or at least in the old courthouse, underneath the Register of Deeds office are files after files after files. And we could leaf through the little Dewey Decimal system of, of the Register of Deeds office and we could find under the letter D that on June the 5th, 1984, that Tracy Riddle was married to Jimmy Dykes. That happened 39 years ago. We didn't just say, hey, I like you, you like me, let's hang out together and have a family. No, there was a legal, traceable transaction that occurred that our marriage is an official Marriage. Do you understand? It's legal. It's traceable. It happened 39 years ago. 19 years after we were married and after all three of our biological children were born, the Lord put it on our heart to adopt a daughter. And so 20 years ago this summer, we adopted a daughter from Kazakhstan. Christina Valerianovna, Kuznetsova. She became a member of our family. And if you wanted proof of that, all we would need to do would be to travel 6,174 miles from right here. I checked it. 6,174 miles. And we could make our way to a tiny little village in northern Kazakhstan called Kachiri, 100 miles south of Siberia, Russia. And we could go to a 
tiny little nondescript courthouse in Kachiri where we would find a record that 20 years ago, Christina Kuznetsova became Christina Dykes. Because that adoption was not a moment when I just went over and grabbed that little girl and took her out of the country. No, there was a legal process and there was a legal traceable transaction. Do you all understand where I'm going with this? In the same way that our marriage and yours here in Buncombe County is a legal and traceable transaction. And in the same way that our adoption of Christina is a legal and traceable transaction in the country of Kazakhstan, so the redemption of Ruth was not just a moment when Ruth said, I love you, you love me, come on, and you just hang out at the threshing floor with me and let's be a couple. No, there was a process that happened. It is a legal process and it is a traceable event to prove that she had been redeemed. Watch it in the text. You'll see it unfold as Ruth uh, is, or rather as Boaz comes to the city gate. Write it down this way. To begin the transaction, Boaz assembles the court. Boaz gathered the court. Look at verse number one. It says, then Boaz went up to the gate. Early the next morning, Having been asked by Ruth to redeem her life, Boaz makes his way to the city gate. Now, the city gate in ancient days was the equivalent of our county courthouse. It's where all of the legal matters and the property transfers and everything that was a legal transaction, it occurred at the city gate. It's where all of the elders and the judges would gather, where they would pass judgment on certain issues. It's where the people would come together so that uh, legal and, and transactional events might be recorded. Boaz, verse number one, goes to the gate. Now, by the way, you should also know that the gate in these cities was not like a gate in your fence. If you have a fence around your property that's probably a single fence with a gate and you open it and step in and close it and you're inside. That's not the way the city gates were. These city gates were multi-roomed complexes. And so you would enter from the, from the outside through the outer door of the gate and you would be in either a courtyard, an enclosure, or even in a room, and to your right and to your left, there might be assembly rooms and gathering spaces, and you would have to turn this way, and then turn this way, and perhaps another turn, and then you would enter into the town. So it was a place where the elders and where people would gather. Boaz goes to that gate, verse number one, and he begins to gather the people. He sits down, he waits for this nearer kinsman to come through. He knew that he would come through. They all had to go through the city gate to get to their fields. And so he knew that he would be passing through to go to his fields. Or else maybe he had slept at his threshing floor like Boaz had the night before. And he would be coming through the gate to head to his home. But either way, he knew that he would come through. So in verse number one, he waits on him. And when he comes through, Boaz sees him coming through. And he says to him in the King James, Ho, such a one. Now, it's an interesting translation of the Hebrew here to say, ho, such a one. Your translation, if you have a modern translation, it probably says, come here, friend, 
and sit down. In either case, he's unnamed. This, this nearer kinsman is not named anywhere in the text. Really, the best translation, I think, of the Hebrew is this. He says to him, hey, you. That's what he's saying. Hey, come here. I want to talk to you. Many people believe that the reason that this man's name is not recorded is in order to protect his identity because his refusal to redeem Ruth would have brought shame upon him and his family. And so the author obviously would have known his name but just left it out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For whatever reason, he's not named, but Boaz says to him, hey, you come here. And he does. He comes and sits down. Verse number two, then he says to the elders, he gathers the, the elders together, 10 elders of the city to be his jury, his witnesses. And then verse number nine tells us that a great crowd gathers as well to watch these proceedings. So Boaz, because he wants to redeem Ruth, gathers the court together. Once the court is assembled, now Boaz presents his case. Look at verse number three. He said unto the kinsmen, Naomi, that has come again from the country of Moab, has sold a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought I would inform you, verse number four says, I would advertise to you, or it means to inform you. I would let you know this. Now, by the way, there's a really great lesson for us here. I want you to listen to this very, very carefully. Boaz might have tried to circumvent the system and go around this nearer kinsman and not even let him know that there was land that needed to be redeemed and just work it out and take it himself. Boaz might have done that. He could have perhaps tried to do that, but he wouldn't do it. When he says in verse number four, I thought to advertise, the word advertise means to, honestly, it literally means to be naked before you. He's saying, I'm being transparent. I'm telling you the full story. And Boaz is a wonderful model for us in this, that in all of our dealings, if y'all are listening both campuses, shout amen. In all of our dealings, we should deal with integrity. Boaz said, I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to be secret. I'm not going to try to work this out without going to the nearer kinsman. He said, there's a process. There's a law to follow. I'm going to do it the right way. So he goes, he assembles the court, and he says, I'm going to tell you exactly the way it is. Listen, in your relationships, always deal honestly. When you're, when you're talking to your wife or your husband, always tell the truth. When you're, when you're working on the job, always deal honestly. When you're balancing your expense account, always do so with integrity. When you're running your business, always tell the truth. And when we tell the truth, then God blesses the work of our hands. It's exactly what Boaz did. I'm not going to hide this from you. I'm going to tell you that Naomi has come back from the land of Moab and there is a piece of land at issue. That, that's what is at issue. There's a piece of land that had belonged to Elimelech and, and uh, Naomi, and yet chapter one, during the famine, because of their poverty, they sold the land or they lost the land, and they made their way down to Moab. And remember the law of the kinsman redeemer. It was his responsibility. If a family lost their property, he was to redeem it, to buy it back so that the land would always stay within the family. That was the law of the kinsman redeemer. So Boaz says to him, this land has been sold. I wanted you to know that you are the kinsman in position to be responsible for and have the opportunity to buy that land back. In verse number four, at the end of the verse, this nearer kinsman says, okay, I will redeem it. I will do it. 
And in verse five, Boaz masterfully finishes presenting his case. He waited until exactly the right moment, and he says in verse number five, well, if you buy the land, then you must know that you also are acquiring Ruth, who had been married to Malon, and, and so that land, she's connected to that land as well, and you know the law of leveret marriage, and so if you buy the land, then you have to marry Ruth, and if you marry Ruth, then it is your responsibility to father a son with her, and if you father a son with her, then the land that you purchase will not even be yours. It will actually belong to this son of the Moabite girl, Ruth. And verse number five, that redeemer says, oh, well then, never mind. <laughs> I'd be willing to buy the land, but if I have to marry Ruth, I cannot do it. You see it in verse number six? I cannot do it. I'll mar my own inheritance. I will not do it. Now, let me translate this for you very plainly. In verse number six, what he says when he says, I cannot, I will not redeem it. Here's what he's saying. Ruth's not worth it to me. If I could get the land, okay. But to get Ruth is a deal breaker. I don't want to marry her. She's not worth it. And so, verse number seven, he says to Boaz, you do it. You, or verse six, you redeem it for yourself. You take it. Verses 7 and 8, he says, let me give you my shoe. Now, isn't this a strange sort of gesture? In, in, in those days, if they were transactioning a piece of land, selling a piece of land, they would, the one who was get, forfeiting the land would take his shoe off and hand it to the person who was going to acquire the land. Now, by the way, this tradition dates all the way back to Joshua chapter 1. Because in Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua, when they're coming into the land of Canaan, every place where the sole of your foot treads, it's yours. And so when they were selling land or not accepting land, they would give the sole of their sandal, give their sandal to say, I will not tread on it. I'm not going to walk on that land. It's not mine. It's yours. That was the symbolism there. And so he gives him his sandal and, and says to Boaz, you redeem the property. And so, Boaz, beginning in verse number 10, 11, 12, does actually redeem. So that's the third thing. So he assembles a court, he makes his case, and then uh, in verses uh, 9 and 10, he redeems Ruth. Verse number 9, Boaz said unto the elders and to all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought, I have redeemed all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess I have acquired to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead will not be cut off among the brethren. I'm taking the land, I'm buying the land, and I am marrying Ruth. Now, the text doesn't tell us, does it, how much he paid for the land? We don't know what it cost him, but it cost him something. He paid dearly for that land. And in verse number 10, he says, I will marry Ruth, and, um, and I will have sons with her. And the third and, or the fourth and final thing that you see um, about this legal and traceable transaction at the court of the city there in the city gate is that once Boaz assembles the court and he makes his case and he redeems Ruth, then, then all the people rejoice. And this is what happens. Redemption rejoice, uh, results in rejoicing. Verse number 11, he had said to the people, you're witnesses of this. In verse 11, all the people that were at the gate and the elders said, yes, we are the witnesses. They said, Amen. We see what you have done. We confirm it. And this transaction 
has occurred. And they even go on to say, God bless you, verse number 11. May, your, uh, may you be like, or may the wife Ruth be like Rachel and Leah, who gave birth to the tribes of Israel. May your home be like the home of Perez, our ancestor who had so many descendants. They were rejoicing. So you see what happened? He, he gathers the court. He makes his case. One redeemer walks away. He steps in and redeems, and all of the people rejoice. If y'all are with me, say amen. You surely see the redemptive parallels, don't you? You surely see how Boaz is the most perfect example of our redeemer. If you don't see it, let me show it to you. Like Ruth, we, you and I, were helpless aliens estranged from God. We had no right in the family of God. Paul says this in the book of Romans. We were outcasts, strangers from the covenants of promise. We had no right to any relationship with God. We could not help ourselves. We could not redeem ourselves. And we could not save ourselves. And so, like Ruth, we came in simple faith and risked a faith step to ask Jesus to be our redeemer. We came to Jesus and we said, we're just servants and you're the redeemer and we don't deserve it, but we're asking you, would you please be our redeemer? It's all we could do was just ask. And so our case appeared in the courtroom of heaven. There we were spiritually, we didn't even know it, but there we stood guilty in the presence of God. And there was a first given redeemer who had the opportunity to redeem you or me. It was the law of God. And we were standing before God and the law was asked, would you redeem Jim Dykes? And the law looked at my broken life and said, he's not worth it. I won't redeem him. I cannot redeem him. All of the commands of God shouted, no, I will not redeem. And so, Je are y'all tracking? Jesus, the Redeemer, stepped up and said, that Redeemer would not and could not, but I can and I will. And I will redeem his life. And so like Boaz, he paid a price. I don't know the price that Boaz paid to redeem Ruth, but I know what Jesus paid to redeem me. At the cross of Calvary, Jesus shed his blood, died, giving his life for one reason, that he might redeem you and me who would come to him by faith and trust in him. And all of this was done while all we did was ask and wait. Jesus, would you redeem me? And like the redemption of Ruth, which was a legal and traceable transaction, so the redemption of every born-again believer in Jesus is a traceable and legal transaction. Because if I could take you a few miles from here to the Buncombe County Courthouse, I could find for you the legal document where my name is written next to Tracy's. And if I could take you 6,174 miles from here to Kachiri, I could find the legal document where Christina's name is written next to mine and Tracy's. 
And if somehow I could take you into the very throne room of God, I could find a legal document where my name is written next to Jesus' name. Because the Bible says that if you've trusted in Jesus, that your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Redemption is a legal and a traceable transaction. Ruth came and she said, will you redeem me? And he said, I will. Redemption is a beautiful thing, and yet it is completely out of our hands. Only Jesus can do it. Well, when you come to verse number 13 down through the end of Ruth chapter number 4, you have here what I see as the results of her redemption. So the first part, Boaz makes his case and draws the court together and, and affects the redemption through his payment and takes the land and takes Ruth. But beginning in verse number 13, you see these wonderful blessings that come as the result of her redemption. I see three of them in this passage. Jot them down as we close. First of all, because Ruth was redeemed, then Ruth was rescued from her past. You think about her past. She grew up a Moabite girl, a pagan, worshiping Shamash. And now she stands in Bethlehem. The Moabite is now a permanent Bethlehemite. She belongs in Bethlehem. The girl who had been a widow in chapter 1 now has a husband in chapter 4. The girl who had been a beggar in chapter 2 and chapter 3 now has a home in chapter 4. And everything about her past had been wiped out and now she had a brand new standing. Can I tell you something about Jim Dykes? I am not the man I used to be. Now, by God's grace, I'm not the man that I will be, and I'm not the man that I hope that he makes me to be, but as I stand before you today, I can tell you that my past has been redeemed, and I am not the man that I used to be because my Redeemer has rescued me from my past, just like Ruth. Number two, second blessing that came to her is that Ruth was married to her Redeemer. Verse number 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. He married her. He loved her. And didn't just redeem the land and give her a future. He said, I want you to be my bride. And do you know that this is what we are as followers of Jesus? The Bible says that we are the bride of Christ. Are you glad that, that the Bible says in Romans chapter 7 that we have walked away from another, from the law, that we might be married. It literally says we've been divorced from the law that we might marry another. And who were we married to? Christ who has risen from the dead. She married her redeemer and so did you if you're in the bride of Christ. And then number three, finally, Ruth joined the family of God. And I don't just mean that by faith she became a daughter of God. That's true and I'm not minimizing that. But I mean that chapter four tells us that she literally, literally, was added into the line, the earthly line of the family of God. Did you notice the begats and the genealogy that's given at the end of the book of Ruth, beginning in chapter number 17, where it says the women, the neighbors of Naomi gave the baby a name. That name was Obed, and it says that Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David who became king. And I said to you at the beginning of this series, way back in chapter 1, that maybe the reason the book of Ruth was written in the first place was to establish the lineage of David and the rightful place of David to be the king of Israel because of his line, his, his heritage. 
in the family of the tribe of Judah. And so it's, it's established in verse 17, but in verse number 18, down through the end of the chapter, she, the, the writer establishes this lineage even more fully. Look at verse number 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez. By the way, Perez is the son of Judah. And Judah is the son of Jacob. If y'all listening, shout amen. And Jacob is the son of Isaac. And Isaac is the son of whom? Father Abraham had many sons. He's the father of Abraham. So what's the writer of Ruth doing? The writer is tracing the lineage of, of Obed and ultimately David. He's tracing that lineage all the way back to Abraham. So he starts at Abraham and he comes forward. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, uh, Perez, or Perez. And then beginning in verse number 18, he goes forward. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez begat Hezron. And Hezron begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Solomon, and Solomon begat Boaz. Boaz's dad was named Solomon. Do you know who his mother was? I know some of you do, because I've told you for years. In fact, I've said it to you so many times, I hesitate to say it again, but some of you don't know. Solomon was married to a Canaanite pagan prostitute whose name was Rahab. Do you remember the story of Rahab? So when the Israelites come into Israel, they surround Jericho and Rahab has faith in God and she hides the two spies and when they destroy the city, they rescue her life and she's never a prostitute again, but she falls in love with a Jewish man named Solomon, who by the way, I believe was one of the spies that rescued her. I don't know that for sure, but she marries she marries Solomon. They have a son named Boaz. And Boaz grows up to marry a pagan as well. And don't you know that some of Boaz's buddies said, what are you doing marrying a pagan? You know we're not supposed to marry Moabites and she's not a good Jewish girl. And why would you marry somebody from that background? And he said, did you know my mama? My mama was a pagan. And this is what God can do for pagans. She married Solomon, Rahab did, and they had... Boaz is their son. And verse 21 goes on to say that Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And you say, well, that's cool. Ruth is planted in the family line of King David. But it gets even better. Because if you'll go 14 generations forward, as recorded in Matthew chapter number one, another baby is born who follows after Ruth He's born in the same village where Obed was born. He's born on a night when the angels illuminate the sky, singing glory to God in the highest. And the baby born in Luke chapter 2 in Bethlehem is none other than Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. God took Ruth and redeemed her and said, I'm going to let you be in the family, the earthly family of my son. And you know what God did for Jim Dykes on April the 29th, 1981, when I called out to him in faith, couldn't save myself. I just said, Jesus, you're the Redeemer, save me. He redeemed me. He gathered the cord. 
The law wouldn't redeem me, so Jesus paid the price. He died and rose from the dead. He adopted me, married me, made me part of the bride of Christ, put me in God's family, recorded my name in heaven. And one day with Ruth, we will be around the throne of Almighty God. That is the beauty of redemption. Amen. Praise be to God. And if you don't know Jesus, he wants to redeem you. On either campus, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he wants to pay the price for your redemption. And I'm asking him to draw you to himself today.